Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Kleber, your host, and with me today is Caleb Wells. Hey, hey Caleb. How are y'all? Hey, good. 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 And our other co-host, Wailu. Sean, Caleb, how's everyone? Hey, Wailu. Hey, good, good. We're getting ready for the holidays. It's coming up. Uh, you know, we got past Thanksgiving for us in the, in the States. <laughs> we do yeah. now have, uh, you know, Christmas and New Year's coming up. So it's nice. I actually know that's. It's kind of like a. That's a good way forced, of putting it. It's not like some forced right. time off for me, so that's kind of good. So, hmm. actually, yeah. days that are like not working. <laughs> yeah, we we survived Thanksgiving, and now we'll see if we can survive Christmas. <laughs> How long do you guys lock down, shut down for usually over Christmas? We don't. Oh, so you just get Christmas off and then New Year's off and then. Yeah, most American companies, yeah, you get Christmas off maybe the day before, and if you want more time off, you have to take it. You know, you know us Americans, right? No, oh, yeah, you guys only so. get two weeks a year or something, right? To right. Yeah, thanks. All right, let's uh, bring in our guest. Let's welcome back to the show, Mr. Mark Miller. Hey, Mark. Hey, Sean. How are glad you? to be here. Guys. I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Glad to uh, be talking to you guys, talking yeah, to your it's listeners. It's been a while since we had you on, so it's, yeah, it's good to bring you back here and, and catch up with Absolutely. our old friends. I got a friend. Hold on. I got to <laughs> I gotta take notes. I got to write your names down now. This is, I got to get some proof. I got to get a screenshot or something. This is a big deal. Um, I need like some certificates from every one of you. It's recorded. So Mark, we're going to go out there live. People, Other people can hear right. it. I actually said it. All right. Mark, you have plenty of friends. I've been on your, your Twitch stream. You, you have a loyal following. So. Okay. All right. I don't know. I used to get, I used to, when I, we used to speak more frequently at conferences, you know, right. before the COVID right. times, I'd get reviews back from the folks in the audience when they would do that. And one of the questions would be, how do you feel about this speaker? And one of the options was, I never want to see this speaker again. And consistently, every talk, I got 3% of the audience would hit that last button. They would, they would be, I never want to see Mark speak again. But they seem to keep following me and going from room to room for all of my talks because I'm still getting that 3% every time. I don't know. It's you their know, fault. Some, I'm mine. Some, some people just don't have good taste. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't know. I don't know. But they keep following me. I don't know what it is, yeah. Caleb. They're like, <laughs> I still get those same same set of folks. They keep coming. We don't want to see you anymore. And we're going to keep showing up until you stop showing up. You. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, folks. This is Charles Max Wood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs, 
www.dovexpress.com. Where are you at now? What are you doing? Well, I'm still at Dev Express. I, I think I'm coming up on a like a 20-year anniversary at that company. I, I've, I think I've been there since 2003, 2002, somewhere in that time period. So working my butt off over there. We are working on, on Code Rush as usual. That's my kind of baby product that I've, uh, I've been working on actually for even longer than that. I've been working on that for, I want to say, I think probably about 25 years, I think is probably what I've been working on it before I brought it to .NET. I had it in, in, in Delphi or Delphi, depending on what part of the world, world you are. And I, I have loved working on it because I'm a developer and I'm able to create essentially my own tools, right? Tools that are help me write code faster. And and it's from my perspective, it's the best developer job there could be where you're actually using the product you're creating. And you have a team of people that are building that essentially for you or helping you build that. It's it's just it's for me I can't imagine a, a better job as a software developer than being able to use my my own product. I'm sorry, go ahead. So you've been working on the same code for like 25 years. Do you like ever check in code that that you go oh wow i wrote this like you know 10 plus years ago i think like um there's there's like a little bit of that but there is the when we switched to visual studio 2000 in 2003 it was a whole new code base right we knew the architecture right we knew going in in fact that that experience actually kind of pertains to what i wanted to talk about on the show which is how do you build the impossible right and one of the, the the initial building sequence for that started of taking team members and flying them to Vegas to live in an apartment building, so, and we were coding essentially twenty four seven. We were coding, we were we were sleeping, coding, and eating for the most part the entire time for probably se- for several months. And what would happen is different devs would come in and work with me there in that space, and so we're starting totally from scratch in, in 2002, 2003, and a whole new code base, whole new language. Went from Delphi over to C Sharp. But we knew what the engine looked like. We knew how to make it right. And in some cases, we knew how to make it better because we had, you know, we had seen maybe we had experienced some growing pains from the original architecture. And we were like, well, here's what we did really well. Here's where we could improve. And, and so we made improvements as we were heading in that direction. But the team is is much bigger than me now, and and they are doing most of the code writing. I'm doing more of creating specs. Sometimes I create content, and sometimes I do prototypes, things like that. Uh, so I just checked, and uh, the episode that we had you on originally, way back in 2020, is uh, episodes 29 and episodes 30. So if our listeners do want to check out the discussion on Code Rush, they can check out those episodes and we're actually just coming up on episode 100. So we're about to hit, about to hit that milestone of uh, triple-digit episodes. Nice. It's been a fun run. Mark, right, you talk about evolving your product over time and being able to actually use it on a daily basis. That's something that I've been trying to do in my last couple of jobs, right? Dog fooding your own code. Um, I know you've used that that term quite a bit on Twitch, right? And you can learn a lot from using your own code and actually needing to use it and finding ways to to make it more performant or to add this feature or functionality that can that can make your life easier, right? Which makes it that much easier to to add it to your product. Yeah. I also the, the other component of this of this kind of dog food fo- fooding experience is is kind of stepping into 
tech support, or stepping into the documentation role. Both of these can lead to insights in how to make the software better so you can reduce the hit on tech support and, and reduce the amount of documentation that need, needs to be written to explain something, right? So you can get the same kinds of, of benefits. I think there's, there's a huge degree of benefit by going into this space. It's, it's similar, by the way, to just writing a test case, right? Once you, once you start writing a test case, you're looking and thinking about, you're, you're essentially documenting your expectations, right? And like I was writing a test case like, you know, uh, a couple hours ago and, and I was surprised when the test case failed, right? I was like, what, why did that fail? It should, it should have worked, right? You know, I, I didn't even think that that was going to, you know, I was just, I'm just, all I'm doing is I'm, I'm putting the test case in because I want to preserve what I think is a working state, right? And so it's like anytime you step out of the pure development role only, right? And you, you stop worrying about just like, what's my spec? What's my deadline? And you you go into other roles. I think there are these natural uh, kind of levels of insight that you gain that can lead to a better product. I think it would be really interesting um, in for Code Rush as well, because like for me and maybe for Sean and Caleb as well, but a lot of the, I guess, the users of the software that I, I develop are just like, people who aren't into it at all um they're just like people that you know they're, they're they're working at some office somewhere and they've got to do something um whereas your audience is like people who are hardcore developers type thing so yeah no it's i like the space in i say i like the space there's there's parts of the space i guess i don't like i guess there are malicious evil developers out there but in general most every developer i've ever met has been a nice guy has been a nice person right and 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 I was concluded that was because development is about the pursuit of truth, and you've got this kind of this this arbiter of truth, which is the compiler or the perf- the profiler, right? The 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 memory use, right? You've got tools that tell you how close you are to where you think you are, right? I think this is a performant application. I think this is a great user interface, right? I think these things, but now we can kind of verify these things. We can use metrics, right, to see, hey, is this feature that I thought was going to be awesome, is it being actually used, right? We, we've got all of these tools that we can use to actually d- determine the truth. And so, you know, in a in an industry where there are intele- surrounded by intellectuals and an ability to pursue and find and agree upon truth, it seems it, it doesn't make sense to me that there would be bad actors in that space as well. But it happens. My dad once told me, by the way, so my dad's not alive anymore, but he, when he was alive, he was at one point president of Boeing Aerospace. And he once said to me, because I was talking to him about just like bad apples, right? People who are maybe not great. And, and, and how did, you know, what, what was his feeling about that at people that were working in his company? And he was like, you know, when you have like 30,000 employees, you're going to have some bad apples is what he said, right? In other words, you get enough people participating in something, yeah, there's going to be some some darkness that you have to, space, to step in. Aside from that acknowledgement, I love the space. I love the space where people are, are like, you know, trying to find the truth with me, right? Trying to find the best way to write the feature, right? The best feature that we can deliver, right? What is the fastest way we can do it? What's the way we can balance all of these constraints that are sometimes fighting against each other, 
right? How do we find the best solution? And how do we do that collaboratively as a team, right? Those things are, I think, it's it's like I said, it's 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 almost it's almost a beautiful way of 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 living on this planet. It's way better than like having to to hunt animals for food and then just to eat, right. just to survive, <laughs> right? Well, I guess that's all perspective. I think I enjoy <laughs> the way we live on this planet. But you know, you you bring up bouncing all the different things that go into software development, and right. And earlier, you brought up doing the impossible. And I feel like I've learned over my career that there really is nothing that's impossible as long as you have enough time, money, and talent or intelligence, which typically you don't have enough, right? So so it does become impossible. How have you approached that, right? Overcoming the impossible, being given a task that you're like, I don't know if we can do this, right? And breaking it yeah. down smaller parts and actually getting it done. Yeah, well, I think the the first step is to kind of let's remove the word impossible from the vocabulary and instead let's use the term economically infeasible, right? We can't we cannot pay That's for good. it. Yeah. Right. And so let's get to that point first. And then secondarily, I with anything that feels or seems impossible, I'll mull it over in my head. And I'll I'll try to come up with different ways of solving the problem. Sometimes I'll mull an idea over in my head for about three decades before I finally figure it out. Right. That actually happened with one of the one of the things that I built where I had been trying unsuccessfully. Essentially, I tried. I thought I could do it. No, that failed. I tried eight years later, tried again, got closer. But there were serious problems, backed away and then had a, you know, just was in a discussion with one of my devs. They made a suggestion for something that I thought we couldn't fix. They And all of a sudden, I realized we can step over to the alternate timeline where the impossible can come true, right? So I think the, the first step is to see the path and how you can do it, right? See the economically feasible path for how you can make it work. And a lot of times, in fact, almost all the time when I've had to do something that everybody in the room said we couldn't do, right? It's involved a step to the side, right? What I call like orthogonal thinking, right? Where we're going to we're going to, instead of thinking the way everybody is expected to be thinking, we're going to, we're going to start twist, turning things on their sides. And we're going to start thinking a little bit differently and, and see if we can make something work. And then once we get to that point, then we start looking at, okay, how do we, how do we make it actually really, really work? Now, with software, one of the things you have is the ability to kind of put up illusions relatively inexpensively, right? I can put up an image, I can draw something onto the screen. So I've got a lot more leeway in the software world than I do in the physical world when we're talking about building impossible things. But I think that that's, the, that's one of the first steps is that orthogonal step to the side. The second piece of it is, is one of my favorite problem-solving techniques is when you get to a point where you're saying, somebody says, well, we can't do this because of X, Y, and Z. And you say, well, we could do one, two, and three. And they're like, well, that would only solve X and Y. And most people block or they stop at that, that point of th- thinking, right? Where it's not getting solving the whole problem. What about Z? And you're like, okay, don't worry. What about if we did, you know, what if we did uh, D, E, and F? And they're like, well, that would only solve half of Z. And I like, but look what we're doing, right? We're getting really close and we're basically setting up what it, we're creating these threads, right? These threads that are crossing 
and layering and creating a safety net, what I call a safety net. And it's kind of a safety net design approach that I use sometimes, which is, yes, we acknowledge that there's no one thread that will solve the problem. There's no one effort. But if we take multiple efforts across multiple spaces, we can create a, a virtual safety net that creates a solid world to the consumer, right? And so that's that's like another another piece that I think is is an essential component. You don't yes, there will absolutely be blocks along the way if you're trying to do what hasn't been done before, right? There are going to be also blocks in the form of people. People are going to say, "Yeah, I don't think so. This feels weird or artificial. It feels weird." Like there's a feature I just were about to release for Code Rush. And I'm kind of excited about it, and part of the reason I'm excited about it is because it's kind of like it's I'm kind of putting up a, a perimeter that says, you guys can't touch me is kind of what, <laughs> what I'm doing. And, and, and I'll back up and give you some context on this. Code Rush lives inside of Visual Studio, right? right. Code Rush innovates over the, over the history of its lifetime, has released features and bound shortcuts to the features that were not used in Visual Studio. But then like a schoolyard bully, Visual Studio comes up and says, Look, give me your lunch money. We're taking that that shortcut. And that's going to be for our new brand new feature, right? right? So the context is the real estate that's available to me to make my customers faster in Visual Studio with CodeRush installed, that real estate is, is shrinking, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I'm doing you know my usual mulling over the problem. And I'm also looking at the caps lock key and thinking, what a waste that is. It's nice and big. It's near the shift key. It's near the tab key. It's right where my fingers are when I'm hitting modifiers anyway. What if we made that into a modifier? What if we made caps lock like the shift key, like the control key, like the alt key? Then we could claim anything we wanted. We'd have caps plus 26 letters, caps plus space bar, caps plus enter, all of that. And Microsoft would never touch it. They wouldn't touch that for like five, 10 years, right? And so we'd carve out that real estate and claim it, and it would be ours. Okay, well, let's say we want to do that. How do we solve that problem? Well, you've kind of got some really fundamental challenges with it. For example, what? how do you change caps lock toggle it if it's not going to work like it used to? How do right. you make it, right? How do you make it, how do you make it actually even better? Than the caps lock experience already. Well, in that case, we're kind of we kind of got a it's an easy shot because caps lock is accidentally hit and keys are accidentally typed in the wrong case a couple times a month per person probably right each person mm-hmm. probably experiences accidentally hitting caps lock once or twice a month and then they look at what's happened and they are like ugh and they have to go back can we make it better and so that's kind of the mindset that went into. How do we fix this? How do we make it so it's solid? How do we make it so it's better? And how do we make, you know, and how do we do something that anybody else would be like, no way, no way. We can't, we can't touch that caps lock. It's the sacred caps lock key, right? We can't touch it. Time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. 
Try Raygun Alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. Right, because you you feel like, hey, that's that's old school, built into the operating system. Everyone knows what Caps Lock does. You know, it's one of those, right? You you don't mess with QWERTY, right? Um, right. But but what you're what you're bringing up makes a lot of sense, and it goes back to your X Y Z D and E and F, right? You may not be able to get to Z the first time around, but if people give you the the time to iterate through X and Y in that process, you may find your way to Z because you learn a lot in the development process of doing these new features, right? Yeah. No, you absolutely do. I also find that, yeah, but by iterating to X and Y, you may realize you don't need to get to Z. You may realize the requirements are different by then. So Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. Yeah. So we're going through caps lock and we're like, and I'm still getting resistance, right? So one of the things we're talking about is resistance. Like members on the team are like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure about this, Mark, right? And so I start binding shortcuts to it. And I ask for a, a future change. I say, I want our execute refactoring command. It's, it takes a parameter and I can bind it to a shortcut. I said, I want that to be able to take a, a semicolon delimited list of refactorings. And I want it, if only one of those is available, I want it to instantly go. And if more than one are available, I want to show a menu, let me choose. And then I went to caps space, which is like pretty much the easiest combo to hit. And I looked and I grabbed all our refactorings that were essentially reversals of each other, like toggling, like four each to four, four to four each, split conditionals, uh, combined conditionals, removing uh, unnecessary uh, braces or adding a pair of braces, that sort of thing. I took all of those and bound them to caps plus space. And what was interesting about all of those reversals is their availabilities were in general very distinct. So they were only available in unique places that that rarely overlapped. So what you have now is this caps plus toggling key, caps plus space toggling key, where you just say, oh, I don't want my code like this. I want it the other way. And you just hit it. And I also, as a bonus, I added inline temp to it because inline temp was similarly distinctly available, right? And so you want to inline a temp, you just hit caps space. Then I went on to caps delete and I started grabbing all the refactorings that removed unnecessary code and I put them in that list. And so now you want to get rid of code, you just remember caps delete. And then I went to what what now, what, what, what features add new code? Like we've got something called add missing constructors, right? Or add to interface, things like that. And I bound them to caps plus insert. And I, as a result, we've got access to probably, I would say, I, don't, I haven't counted them up, but I'd say it's probably about 45 refactorings from those three keys and they just instantly go, right? And so when, when the bindings came back, the strongest resistors, the people that were the biggest resistors came back with wow, right? In other words, okay, now I'm seeing it. Right. I had a, I did not know that was the end result. I had a, a different end result in mind. My original end result was think of a refactoring, any refactoring, what's the first letter? Hit caps plus the letter, and it'll get you that. That was my original idea. But along the way, I was like, because I think we've talked in the past about good design, and I know that caps plus spacebar is a pretty easy combo to hit. 
spacebar by itself is the easiest, right? But caps plus spacebar is super easy. So I'm thinking, what's the, I want to put the most power in the easiest keystroke, right? That's what I'm thinking. And as a result, caps plus spacebar gives you access to like 30 different toggles that are in there. And it's, it's in general, I think it's really good for, like you say, the feature's not out yet. It's about to come out, but it's, I think, really good for a first feature. And I hope people end up using it. I've been using it for about a month now. So I've been working and working with this and I'm kind of actually using a like a second generation version of the technology. We're, 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 we're intentionally releasing a subset of what I'm using now with the first release to get feedback on it, see how all that is. Yeah. There's another component related to all of this. I don't know if you guys want to jump in or not. I don't want to like, you know. So do you have to hit well, caps just, twice? No. Because okay, once so, it's going to turn on and you're going to you hit your letter and you, you need to right. back and forth. Well, so actually, you're not, you're not I, I, caps. I think this goes to what I was going to bring up is in my gaming days, right? I had a separate gaming pad and you either had, you had two options, right? You could hold down a secondary key and then do some other stuff. And when you let go, you went back to your default or you could tap it, make your changes and tap back. Right. And right. Those, ma those macros can be really powerful, but it sounds more like what y'all have done is you've bound them together so that it doesn't register as a caps lock change, but it does that macro based on the environment you're in. That's essentially correct. So what, what happens is when Visual Studio has focus, caps lock works the same way as shift, control, or alt. If you want to actually engage caps lock, in other words, the caps lock is a modifier. But if you want to engage or disengage, you double tap it. And so you just tap the key twice, and when that happens, you'll see some toast appear and you'll hear a sound that says caps lock is engaged. And that toast is red, by the way, because you're kind of in a danger zone from my perspective, right? You want to know about that. When you double tap it a second time, it go, you see another toast. This one is blue that says caps lock is disengaged. And it also says there's discoverability on the toast that says double tap. We also, in our testing, found that some users who were just given it without anything and then were asked to like engage or the caps lock key or something like that would tap and hold down the caps lock and nothing would happen and they tap and hold it down again. And so we look for that pattern as well. And if we see that pattern, we put up the toast that says, here's what's going on, right? So you can see it. And so we, you know, discoverability is kind of an important part whenever you're doing impossible things, whenever you're doing something new, brand new for the first time, discoverability actually becomes incredibly crucial. And for the caps lock feature, I felt it was as well. We wanted to be able to let people discover and practice in a safe space, the keystrokes, right? So that they could be comfortable with them. And I will say that, that it's in the, for, I've been using these for like about a month and, you know, I still have to sometimes look down, where's the caps key? There it is, right? To do, hit the keystroke to get what I want. Right. I still have to. It's not quite as natural to me as control shift and alt because I've been using those for, you know, 30 years, at least 40 years. But I find it's really no it's kind of becoming no different from the other keys. And I can com use combos, too. I can do caps shift or something like that, plus a letter key if I wanted to to bind it. But discoverability for this. So actually, Sean, does that answer your question in terms of how it? Yeah, how we're implementing I was it? just playing with it. And it's like, OK, yeah, I hold it down and hit the key. And, and you're right. It does. It doesn't actually stay in locks mode. 
But then every once in a while, I would accidentally let up on the caps lock before I hit the letter. And it's like, oh, now I'm stuck in caps mode. And so I go back go and toggle it back. I've got a light you, on my, my key, um, on my button actually. So would that not would that light not turn on if I um Yeah, the light does not turn on if you've got Visual Studio up. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's actually, you know, it's a solution. And then this is like that safety net solution, right? It's a solution that's operating at the system level. The other thing that's really cool is if you're in another app and you've got caps lock engaged and you switch over to Visual Studio, you'll get the toast if caps lock is on. Hey, caps lock is on as you're coming into Visual Studio. So you know that and see that. And I've seen that a few times and I've been like, oh, thank goodness for that, that I was just happened to be on somewhere else and I'm, I'm switching over. Um, discoverability I was talking about. So for discoverability, we actually solved discoverability for caps lock with another outside of the box idea, which was let's give our customers a solution, a Visual Studio solution that they can work in. Let's let them navigate the solution really easily using our embedded image technology so we can embed the image of a button and give it a link. And when they click the link, it can open up another file in the project. So we can essentially create a browser-like experience in Visual Studio with buttons that even say, got it, and you click it and it closes the file. Does this make sense? And so we created a solution to show you how to use the new keys and how to, to see all the refactoring, so that sort of thing, to take you through it. So now we've built discoverability. How do we get people to open the solution? Well, we've got to put points everywhere. We've got to document it, right? Safety net approach again, right? We've got to put an option in the menu. We've got to put an option in the setup wizard, a big button so you can see it and it's easy to click, right? We want to get people in there and, and then we want to verify that it's working and that people are using it. And so we've got metrics all over the place. We've got metrics in the learning code solution. So we know, you know, if you decide to share your data anonymously with us, we'll know what learning modules or learning source code files people have looked at. And then we'll be like, okay, cool. So we can, we, we know that they got tired of the lesson here or they really, they move, most people are going all the way through all the lessons, that sort of thing. And so we can use the metrics to come back and help us fine tune the learning experience and, and also direct our resources in terms of where we go next. Are we going to now put all, more of CodeRush in there? Because actually, that's actually where I want to go. I want to see the metrics come back and I want people saying, hey, we want more learning solution so that we can do more of that. I want to document almost every feature of CodeRush in source code and give you fast, mindless, you know, brain, brain simple, brain dead. I'm not sure how, what, to, how to, what to call it, but, yeah. but an effortless, no thought way to navigate and find what you want, learn it and then go. That's kind of what I want to do. That, so, that kind of matches my, my mantra for a lot of things that I build. Because when I tell people I build this thing, it's like, okay, give me, if I if you need a manual, I did it wrong. You know, yeah. it should be just totally intuitive. If you yeah. know the subject matter, it should just be, okay, that makes sense. And you know, yeah. it also makes me think of the new IntelliSense and Telecode stuff in the latest Visual Studio, where yeah. it's 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 giving you options of saying, hey, I think you're doing this. If you tab, I'll fill it in for you. If not, yeah. go about your merry way. Right. And, and of course, that there's an adjustment there. You have to get used to the new feature and functionality. But once it becomes second nature, then it's definitely a performance improvement. Right. For you. Yeah. I, in general. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful idea. 
it's a beautiful idea the way they've, they've gone and implemented. The thing that's so exciting to me about that idea is we're seeing version 1.0 of this. Imagine this in like five years, right? After watching you code, watching me code, right? And getting better and better. I think the, the future of that is awesome, right? We have a, an entry point to, for machine learning for a similar kind of feature in CodeRush. And, and it's, again, you know, it's, it's what I would call one of these, I'm a fenced off area that nobody else would touch, right? But we haven't dedicated any resources there because it's, it's a lot of, it's an expensive space to move into. But it's one of these I'm mulling over kinds of ideas, right? We have the same, we have a unique opportunity, a great place to hook it, uh, a great place to make future decisions. The cool thing about that one is when I pitched it to the team, the team actually agreed. They were like, usually usually when I'm pitching crazy ideas, you know, that's not it. But th this one got shut down because of, uh, just because of resources on it. We just simply don't have the bandwidth to make it happen right now. And uh, I'm not quite sure I'm at the point yet where I want to go up to the president of the company and say, why don't you give me a few more devs so I can push push this hard, you know, push this feature hard. But yeah, it's a great idea. What Visual Studio team has done, I think is, I think it's great. I think it's still, in, it's still rough. For me, my biggest angst, my biggest emotional connection with the feature is when it shows me something I want but I'm moving so fast and, you know, that it goes away because I've started typing something. Then I backspace to get it back and it doesn't come up. And I have to kind of, you know, go back up to the line above and redo my steps so it can give me the suggestion and I can hit tab to do it. It's a great feature. The, whoever, whoever came up with that, right? Whoever person on the, in, probably in research, right? In Microsoft mm -hmm. Research came up with that and then pitched it to the dev team and then got that thing going, I just think is absolutely brilliant. I would love to meet whoever that person is. I'd love to uh, find out more about the story of that development of that feature. Right. Well, and they, and like you said, they didn't see impossible. They said, this is feasible. Right. What is it going to take to get there? Yeah. Right. No, it's actually feature discovery is one of my favorite things to work on, right? Where we, we kind of, in fact, I do this almost all the time. I almost all the time I sculpt the feature. Sometimes I'll fully spec it out in advance. I'll, I've handed 95 page specs to my dev team and they're like 95 pages, Mark, really. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like animation. You can you can page down through them and you can see the changes, right? But I, I've done crazy stuff. And, and like one of the, our features, our debug visualizer, I spec'd out fully in advance. And then the team came back to my surprise with some better ideas than I had. You know, in other words, better. I, and, and I say to my surprise, not because I think the team is dumb, but it's because I thought I'd, I, I thought I had well thought out the entire problem. And I thought I understood it. The team kind of came back and said, well, we think this would be cool or this would be really useful. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, you're right. That would be totally useful. Why didn't I think of that? I'm so glad, you know, we're having this moment, right? So, yeah, there's, there's, you know, I, I think collaboration is super important. Having the team on board, having someone there, you know, who's, who's like, yeah, I can share the vision. And if not, having, you know, the authority to be able to guide the team through it to that point, to the end point. But a lot of times, the initial vision is close, but not perfect. And you just don't know until you've built, you know, ABC and gotten X and Y, right? And then you realize, oh, wait, it's a little, the final result is better than I thought, but it's different than I thought, too. It's a little bit, it's close, but it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. 
Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum. And I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. So I'm going to move us on to picks, if that's all right with everybody. Yeah. All right. Cool. So uh, I guess I will go first this week. And my pick is a new show I've been watching. And it's not on Netflix. It's actually on Amazon Prime. So you might be able to guess it. It's the Wheel oh, of Time. Oh, thank God. That was one of my picks. <laughs> well, not today, but it's in my list. of. But yeah, yes, it's good. Yeah, There you yeah. go. So I haven't read the books, so I'm not familiar with all that stuff. So some people that read the books are, you know, missing some things that they want to see in the show that's not there. But I don't have that problem because I've read the books. So uh, I've, you know, I've read like the first five. And yeah, you feel like maybe there's some gaps, but there's so much to the mythology and the background of the Will of Time. I get what they're doing, and I still think it's really, really well done. Yeah, cool. So if you're not familiar at all, it's about, you know, there's all-female organization that has powers and things like that. And then there's... The Sedai. Yeah, there's one woman that's trying to to travel with these uh, five young villagers, one of them who is supposedly the dragon reborn uh, i don't know what all those things me mean yet because it's on amazon so you don't <laughs> get all the all the episodes all at once you got to wait every friday do, to, do you to want me to tell you who the dragon reborn is because <laughs> no. you learn really early in the books yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let you figure it's it coming out up. yep all right so caleb don't tell him caleb <laughs> <laughs> i won't i won't yeah so my pick i was actually it was either going to be this one or Wheel of Time. And I'm glad I was leaning towards this. This one is on Netflix. And it has to be, Mark's talked about perfection. This has to be one of the best animated series I have ever watched. It's called Arcane. It's on Netflix. It's based on the League of Legends game by, by Riot. But you don't have to know anything about the game or be a gamer to appreciate this show. So the first season is nine episodes. It, it is awesome. If you like good story, if you like animation, then you you need to check it out. Okay. Why? What's your pick? Okay. So, yeah, this this Christmas, um, I'm actually going to go drive back home to my folks. It's like a 12, 13-hour drive from where I live, but it's just too risky to fly right now because my flights just keep getting canceled because of COVID. So we decided that we might actually start uh, like start camping midway. So I've just been like stocking up on camping equipment because I don't know anything about camping and stuff, so... And yeah, I bought this like like night cat inflatable sleeping mat um, that arrived the other day, and I thought it was pretty cool. It's just like this, it's like it's, it's basically a sleeping mat that's folded up in a almost like the size of a drink bottle, and then yeah, it fold it folds out that you can you can you can kind of like you've got this little thing that you can pump air into it and stuff like that. And yeah, we'll we'll be using that during our camping thing. And I thought it was really I don't, actually I don't I don't know, I don't know how innovative it is because i don't know if you like camping equipment but i thought it was just awesome that basically it's like a little bed inside of a drink bottle so cool get a look with your camping yeah be can i can I'm i not, do a, i'm not big on it can i do a pick oh yeah yeah absolutely this, this is, one, one this, is, more. This, this is a non-traditional one i think because it's only for a trailer but it's the trailer for cowboy bebop 
on Netflix. I think it is the best trailer that's ever produced. And I think they made maybe two of them. It's the one where the uh, the bars that separate the videos move a bit. Once you see it, you'll uh, I think you'll love it. I think it is, it, like I say, it's the best trailer for any show I've ever seen made. And I love it. I watched the first episode of it, and it wasn't bad. But it wasn't as good as the trailer. The trailer is I watched multiple times. It was so good. And I made my family watch it multiple times, too, pointing out all the awesomeness of the trailer. If you look at the trailer, by the way, on it, you'll I think you'll realize how they're building the show. It kind of reveals some of the technology uh, and how they're building it. It's I like I say, was incredibly impressed with with almost all of it. That's very cool. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Mark, we've got links to your Twitch streams, everything like that. We're going to put in the show notes. Is is that the best way for people to get in touch with you if they have questions or? Sure. Yeah, they can do that. You can uh, send me an email if you want. I won't, I'll say it out loud now, but I won't put it out there because, you know, everybody likes to get me my email. But you send me an email if you want to, markm at devexpress.com. But yeah, if you want to just talk to me live, go out to twitch.tv slash code rushed. That's code rush with an ED on the end. And uh, I'm out there th- at least three days a week and writing code and uh, just trying to figure out problems. That's just what I'm doing. And I'm loving it. So, and, uh, you know, love to have people there to help us out. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what I should do instead. <laughs> help me be a better developer, kids. Yep. That's what it's all about, right? We're that's what it's now. all about. That's all I'm trying to do, man. Just trying to write some good code here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And if our cool. listeners want to get in touch with us on the show, we'd love to hear from you. We want your feedback. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what we can do better. So uh, you can get in touch with me. I am on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, da, da, da. Caleb Wells. And, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm the other guy. Uh, Caleb Wells Codes. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Mark. Great show. Glad to have <laughs> you back on Adventures in .NET. Yeah. Let's not Let's not wait so long next time. Okay, right? fine. Right? Because okay. you, you are, we are your friend. Well, and if you're, and then you guys are all my friend. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> like together, you each like me about a third. And so together, it's one friend. It's awesome. There you go. There you go. I can't wait to tell people I've got a friend now. <laughs> I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Hmm. All right. And we'll catch everybody else on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.